So we're continuing in our series related to our theme for the year, Thriving by Abiding. And what we started last week uh, and are continuing in this week and a couple following uh, is to go a little bit deeper and to seek to apply um, what 1 John 2, 6 says for those who say, yeah, I, I abide in Christ. I'm one who is in Christ, and I'm, I'm living through Him and allowing His life to live through me. 1 John 2, 6 says, the one that says he abides or remains in Him, in Jesus, ought to walk or live the way Jesus walked, the way He lived. And so last week we talked about uh, loving one another. And uh, I said as kind of a disclaimer that as we go forward in the rest of the series and, and we do go deeper and we seek to apply that walking out and living out what it means to be people who are in Christ, we, I said it's going to be hard. These are difficult, difficult areas, uh, these specific things we're going to be focusing in on. And, and loving one another, um, we said last week that loving one another the way Christ loved us with that agape love, it's not just hard for us. It's impossible for us without the power of the Holy Spirit and without depending on the life of the vine, Christ, in us. And the same is going to be true for what we talk about today in our time together as we go forward, and that is forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. Very, very hard to do. Sometimes absolutely impossible to do. Again, on our, on our own, in our power, in our strength. Um, that's why we need the vine. That's why we need to stop relying on our own strength and our own power and start relying on the power and the life of the vine in us, the life of our Savior in us. That's the only way we're going to be able to consistently or fully forgive other people when they wrong us. And we all know what it's like to be forgiven. We all, we all know that. Uh, because as humans, no matter how good you might be, there's going to be moments, times in your life where you do something that causes someone else pain. It's very easy to do. We all have this, this incredible power to completely break hearts, to ruin relationships, to destroy lives, we have that ability within us, unfortunately, uh, as being fallen humans. We can do that, and we can do that very, very well. And sometimes we can do that very frequently. Um, we, can, we can mess things up pretty bad and pretty, um, pretty easily and for a long time. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, where just one word, one little word that's spoken can cause damage for years, for decades. And if you haven't done that, you, you probably at one point have been on the receiving end of that, or you know people and have people in your life that have been completely destroyed by others, by someone else's words or lack of words, by someone else's actions or lack of loving actions. Kind of borrowing from last week with our talk about loving one another, when we fail to love one another well, when we fail to love one another like Christ loves us and like we're called to love, when we fail in that, often we succeed in causing hurt and harm 
and pain and damage to other people. And, and then it's us that need to come humbly and say, oh, I really messed up. I know that. I, I've caused you harm. I've caused you hurt. I have, I've damaged you. I've damaged our relationship. Will you forgive me? Um, at some point, we've all had to go there. We've all had to say, yep, I acknowledge it. Man, I messed up. Will you forgive me? And, and when that happens, you know that that feeling of tension, that anticipation, waiting, hoping for the answer to be given to us, I forgive you. And oh, what a feeling of release and freedom and joy it is when we hear that, right? When you know, I have messed up, I've caused this person whom I love harm, and yet they forgive me. Isn't that an amazing feeling? When you have done something that, that requires forgiveness being sought, and then it's given to you, it's granted, what an amazing feeling and experience that is. And that's what we are called to do. And we know that. You, you know that. You know that as a Christian, you're called to forgive. I mean, that's a pretty fundamental, basic fact of what it means to be a, a Christian is that we are supposed to be people that forgive other people, and that's supposed to mark our lives. Um, so we know that. We know we're supposed to forgive, but a question that kind of hovers over that fact of forgiveness is how much? Forgive, yes, I know I'm supposed to do that, but how much? In other words, to, to what extent am I to forgive? Is, is forgiveness just supposed to be this open-ended thing that no matter what is done to me or someone else I love, no matter how great the offense, I'm supposed to forgive no matter what? Is that it? And, and is there a limit in, in times? If someone keeps doing the same thing again and again, the same offense, is there a limit on how many times I am expected to forgive them when they keep doing the same stupid stuff? That's, that's the question that many people uh, wrestle with. Maybe you wrestle with that. Maybe that's a question that has been fresh on your mind and on your heart as it relates to forgiveness. So forgive, okay, yeah, I know I'm supposed to, but to what extent? Well, to answer that, I want to um, first draw your attention to Ephesians 4.32. Ephesians 4.32, which says this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and here's, here's the word of the day for us, forgiving one another, forgiving one another. And here's the answer of to what extent. And I, get ready, it's a hard one. You see it already on the page. You see it before your eyes. It's a tough one. Here's the extent that we're supposed to forgive. Forgiving one another just as God in Christ or through Christ forgave you. Retro. <laughs> I mean, this is once again raising the bar, right? This isn't forgive one another according to how other people forgive. This isn't forgive so long as you too are forgiven by other people. 
This is forgive one another to the extent that God the Father forgave you, the sinner, the rebel, the lawless one, in and through His Son Jesus, whom He sacrificed for you and for me. That's that's what we measure forgiveness by. That's the standard. (laughs) That's the standard, church, of our forgiveness. It's not looking at other people to see how good they are at forgiving. It's not even saying, um, I will forgive if the people really deserve to be forgiven. Then I'll do it. Or I'll forgive so long as they reciprocate when I need that. Or, or I'll forgive so long as they don't keep doing the same thing again and again and, and show me they're not really sincere when they've asked for forgiveness. That's not our standard. Our standard is we forgive even when people don't deserve to be forgiven because we never deserved to be forgiven and yet have been. That's our standard. That's our measure. And that, my friends, is very difficult, isn't it? In fact, it's more than difficult, right? It's, it's impossible. It's a word we've been saying a lot. Because forgiving in this way is impossible for you and me. We just don't have it in us, humanly speaking. But we do have it in us, supernaturally speaking, through the Spirit of God. Do you agree with that? I hope you do. I hope that you have found uh, that, that power that He gives you when you will commit to forgiving, period, no matter what. When you decide, you know what, I am going to forgive in a Christ-like way. I am going to forgive as God forgave me in and through His Son. I'm going to do that. And in those times where you have done that, then you can say, yeah, I, it was amazing. I was able to do that. And I know, I know it didn't come from me because I was still really mad. I was still really upset. But man, something happened and I was able to actually extend forgiveness. Wow. And so in those times, you have experienced the power of God in you overcoming the weakness that is in you. And it's an amazing thing when that happens. And it's promised to every single person that is in Christ. So that is the extent to what we are to forgive. Just as God in Christ forgave you, and, and you know as well as I do, there was a whole lot that we had to be forgiven of. And there is a whole lot that we still have to be forgiven of every single day. Because it is our sin, yours and mine, that put Jesus on the cross. It's, it's what we did. It's not what they did back then. It's, it's not even just completely Adam and Eve's fault. Sure, they were the originators of sin. They were, as our, our original parents, they were the ones that fell and, and caused sin to come into all the human race. But we share in their guilt. Not just by association, but by action. And if you and I were in their place, if it was us that was in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3, we would have ended up doing the exact same thing. It's an absolute guarantee. And so, our sin debt before Almighty, perfect, holy, righteous, just God, our sin debt was astronomical, is astronomical. And yet... Jesus 
loved and forgave and took care of that debt anyway. Even though He knew as He hung on the cross, we would still choose sin over Him. And yet He still said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Incredible. You know, I think of some great stories throughout history of of people that had been wronged greatly and had all kinds of of weighty offense done to them, hurt and damage. I mean, unthinkable pain, unthinkable hurt that they experienced. you can look at all sorts of examples throughout history. And one, one lady that comes to my mind as an incredible example of one who was hurt so much and, and treated so horribly and yet forgave so powerfully is, is Corey Ten Boom. I love Corey Ten Boom's life, her story, her example. Um, her and her sister were taken into the worst Nazi concentration camps in World War II. She's the one who wrote The Hiding Place, and her sister actually was killed. Uh, she died as a result of the treatment of the labor camps. And Corey Ten Boom, uh, what an example of, of Christ-like forgiveness she is, because after the war, she was speaking uh, in, uh, I forget exactly what country and what area it was, but it was, it was right in the, um, the central part of Europe where uh, so much atrocity had been done, and uh, she, is, she was speaking and giving her testimony, and afterwards, this uh, large guy that she had seen out of the corner of her eye in the audience as she was speaking, and she had been hoping would not come up to her, came up to her afterwards, and she remembered exactly who he was. He had been one of the cruelest guards in the labor camps that her and her sister were part of. He had been one of the worst, one of the most sadistic, and he came up to her, and he offered his hand, and and he said, ma'am, miss, something like that, thank you so much for sharing what you did. What a marvelous testimony of grace your life is. And, and I'm just wondering, would you extend that same grace to me? Maybe you don't remember, but I was one of the guards. And I remember you. I haven't been able to get your face out of my mind. I see you when I sleep. I'm, I'm woken up from sleep with the nightmare of what I did to you. And I, I know I don't deserve this, but would you please forgive me for the wrong I did to you? And she shares that what she wanted to do in that moment was lash out and say, forgive you? Are you kidding me? Who do you think you are? Why would you deserve forgiveness from me after all you did to me, after all the humiliation, after all the harm you caused me, after you played a part in even my own sister's death, how could you ask me or expect for me to forgive? That's what she wanted to say. And in those seconds before she replied, she said it felt like an eternity as she was warring with herself. And she said, then I heard that still small voice of the Spirit of God saying, but you have been forgiven. And she realized that there is no way at all, that she could claim to be a daughter of God, a redeemed one by Christ, and withhold forgiveness from anyone, even if it were this man. And so in the spiritual power of, of God that, that she had at her disposal, like you and I did, 
she didn't just shake his hand as he had it extended. She grabbed him and hugged him and said, it is my absolute joy to forgive you. That doesn't happen on our own, church. Something like that. That doesn't happen in our ability. That comes from from the power of God in us. And as great as that story is, illustrating forgiveness and what true forgiveness looks like, the best story and the best illustration um, I I have ever found, and and I think that uh, there is, of just how much we have been forgiven by God through His Son, Jesus, the best illustration of that, the magnitude of, of all that we have been forgiven of, comes from Jesus Himself. Uh, And in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, we have this incredible uh, illustration, this story that Jesus told and used to answer his disciples' question, much like I said at the beginning, forgive? Okay, I know I'm supposed to, but how much? To what extent? How many times? And, And how great is the offense that I am to still forgive. Those questions, Peter had the same kind of thought. Okay, I know I'm supposed to forgive, Lord, but, but help me out here. What that, what's that actually supposed to look like? How much is that supposed to be? And so Jesus replied with this incredible, uh, incredible illustration that we're going to look at. So Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, starting in 21. Then Peter approached him, approached Jesus, and asked, Lord, how many times... Must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? And the reason he came up with that number is because the Jewish rabbis of the day said, don't forgive any more than three times. Three times is your limit. Think of a like three strikes you're out kind of thing. Yeah, we need to forgive. That's godly. But we'll, but only forgive up to, to three times. After that, you're free of having to forgive. That was like the prevailing wisdom of the day. So Peter, good old Peter, got to love him. He thinks, you know what? I'm going to wow Jesus. I'm going to go way beyond that three-time limit. And I'm going I'm to show Jesus how, how righteous I really am. This was, this was Peter's um, self-righteousness once again on display. He said, uh, okay, I know there's three times that we're, we're told to forgive. I'm going to go further than that. Lord, I, I got it. How about seven times? Huh? Huh? That's, that's good, right? And Jesus' answer just pops that balloon, deflates all that. He says, I tell you, verse 22, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, clearly... Jesus was not literally limiting um, forgiveness to 490 times. That's not what he was saying there. And Peter knew that. He would have gotten that. When Jesus said 70 times 7, that would have been such an astronomical amount considering what was the, the, the prevailing thought of the day related to forgiveness three times. You know, that, it was clear what Jesus was saying here. He's saying, Peter, you forgive an unlimited amount. The amount, the quantity of your forgiveness has no limit, can't have a limit. It exceeds all limits. Peter, no, you're supposed to to forgive unconditionally and unlimited. Wow. I mean, throwing down the gauntlet again, right? 
And here's, here's the powerful analogy that Jesus gave to prove his point after he says that. No, no, Peter, not, not just seven times, 70 times seven in an unlimited way. And here's, here's the picture he painted to prove his point. Verse 23, Jesus says this, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven, which is always connected to Christ, that phrase, the kingdom of heaven, it's always tied to Jesus himself, his coming. By him coming, he brought the kingdom of heaven to earth, to us. So he says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Now, this figure, this amount, 10,000 talents, that doesn't mean much to us. We're so far removed from this time period and that kind of a currency. So um, let me put it this way. This amount, 10,000 talents that this servant owed the king, was 200,000 years worth of wages. <laughs> 200,000 years worth of work, worth of labor, worth of, of wage. That's the amount that was represented in the debt. In other words, there was no way this servant was going to be able to pay off the debt he owed the king. It was way beyond him. It was an an unlimited amount of debt, much like the U.S. debt, you know. And, and as we continue to add to it, it it's, <laughs> it's never going away, never going away at all. And that's how this was, 200,000 years worth of wages. And so this guy, this, this servant um, that owed this was brought before him. And verse 25 says, since he did not have the money to pay it back, well, of course not, when it's that kind of amount that he owed, he, since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. Reasonable for the king to do that. That's what was done back then. That was the way things were handled. Verse 26, at this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me, please, and I will pay you everything. Not that he had any hope of doing that. I mean, there's no way, no matter what he did, that he was going to be able to come up with that sum. But yet he tried. Please be patient with me. Show mercy on me. Have compassion. And I promise you somehow I'll pay you everything. Just don't do that. Jesus says, In verse 27, then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. He didn't have to, but he chose to. He forgave this astronomical, mind-boggling amount of debt that this servant owed his master. You'd, You'd like to think that the story went on on that happy note and that this servant was so overcome and over, you know, just, just totally blown away by this compassion and mercy and generosity that he was a changed man. Not the case, though. Let's keep reading. Verse 28, that servant who had just been forgiven so radically, so shockingly, that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Here's what that means. A hundred denarii 
was it wasn't an insignificant amount. It was a hundred days wages, so a little bit more than three months worth of, of salary. So not nothing. I mean, that wasn't, you know, just a little tiny drop in the bucket. That was not nothing, but it was nothing um, compared to what had just been forgiven of this servant. You see, forgiveness, church, forgiveness is all about perspective. Forgiveness is not just, is not just saying, I'm going to forgive when, when others deserve it. I'm going to forgive under a certain amount. I'm going to forgive so long as it's returned to me. Forgiveness that we give other people, it's all about remembering what we have been forgiven from. Forgiveness is all about that perspective. It's not looking at the person next to you. It's looking at yourself and remembering all that you owe by way of debt to a holy, righteous God, knowing that even though he did not have to and by rights shouldn't, that he forgave you of all of your sin debt before him which is every bit as astronomical and powerful and mind-boggling as the example of this story. Every bit. 200,000 years worth of wages this servant owed his master. Basically an eternity, right, of debt. Christian, you and I owed our God, our Maker, an eternity of debt with our sin. And yet, He forgave all of that through His Son. And instead of judgment and punishment, just like in this story, instead He gave us access to eternity. It's incredible. It's incredible. Forgiveness is all about perspective, which this servant obviously did not have. He did not have the right perspective at all. Because he went out and he found this fellow servant who owed him a hundred days' wages compared to the 200,000 years' worth of wages he owed. And instead of showing mercy and compassion on him like he had received, look what he does. He grabbed him, he started choking him and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant, just like he had done, fell down, began begging him, be patient with me, please. I will pay you back which actually was entirely possible considering how low the sum was compared to what the servant doing the choking had and had been forgiven of. I will pay you back. Verse 30 says this, though. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Yeah, right? Yeah. And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed, which the implication here is that never happened. So also, Jesus said, now he's bringing it full circle. That was his analogy, his picture 
his example, and a powerful one it was, and he brings it back to the application. He says, So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. See, church, my fellow brother and sister, here's what we need to remember. We forgive because of how much we've been forgiven. That's why we forgive. We don't forgive because people deserve it. We don't forgive because they're worthy of it. We don't forgive because it's just not that big of a deal or that much of a hurt they've caused. No, that's, that's not always the case at all. You know as well as I do. Maybe, maybe some of you have been wronged and hurt horribly, unbelievably. I, I know some of you have. I, I know some of your, your stories. I certainly don't know all of your stories. And, and maybe that's true of someone right here listening to this today, right now. And you hear this and you say, well, pastor, I know I'm supposed to forgive. I know that's what God's Word tells me. I know that's what's supposed to mark my life as one who is in Christ. But you just don't know. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know the pain that I'm still dealing with. And you're right, I I don't. But what I do know is that the worst that we could experience by someone else here on earth and in, in this life, the most severe offense possible that could have been done to you, not minimizing your pain, not minimizing the significance of it, not saying it's nothing, I'm just saying that when you compare all of that to our offense against um, a holy God, our sin that put His Son on the cross, when you compare everything that God had against us on His ledger of our sin debt and yet forgave us, I'm saying it doesn't even come close. And it never will. I mean, for all of eternity, we could not possibly hope to do enough to repay the forgiveness that we have been given. And so we, we forgive because of how much we've been forgiven at the cross, at the cross of our Savior. And the reason that forgiveness is free to us, and it is, if you're in Christ, you have constant free access to perpetual forgiveness. You know, 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the reason that's true, the reason you and I can constantly be forgiven is because Jesus took care of it at the cross. He paid for it. Forgiveness is free to us because Jesus paid for it with His life. And so we freely forgive in response because we have been forgiven and that forgiveness that we need is free to us because Jesus paid for it completely on the cross. That's what was meant when he said, it is finished. When he said that on the cross and the the curtain tore in two and there was the earthquake, he said, it is finished. And what he really said there was, tetelestai, tetelestai. 
That means paid in full. It means debt cleared. The debt has been erased. It's paid for completely. It's finished. Oh, oh, Christian, forgiveness is free to you because Jesus paid for it with His life. And so then in in response, we, we freely forgive. Here's a little picture, a little glimpse of how costly our forgiveness was for our Savior who purchased it. Isaiah 53 Five through six says this. Isaiah fifty three five through six. He Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one, every one of us to his own way, rebellion. And the Lord, Yahweh, that's speaking of God the Father, has laid on Him, His Son, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Which is why Jesus also said on the cross, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? And the answer, the reason that He had been forsaken for the first time in all of eternity. The reason He had been forsaken by His Father was because all of our iniquity, all of our sin, all of our debt was put on His Son, Jesus, and His Father had to turn away. Had to abandon Him. Christian, Jesus was forsaken by His Father so we could be forgiven by Him. Jesus was forsaken by His own Father all so that we could be forgiven by Him. That's the cost of our free forgiveness. And this is why Paul, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.1 could say with absolute confidence, love this verse, love this promise, this reality, therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Aren't you thankful for that today? I mean, that's like, that's a hallelujah statement if there ever was one. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And it's not because we deserve no condemnation. Rather, we deserve eternal condemnation. But we have eternal forgiveness because all of our condemnation fell on Jesus. And He dealt with it there on the cross because He paid our debt. The debt we could never pay. He paid that debt and He purchased our forgiveness. Here's what all that means for you and me. Here's where it all comes down to us. If you're one who is in Christ, you have a choice. Will you obey what God commands and forgive those that wrong you, no matter what, like our God has done for us? Or will you disobey, hold on to your grievance and your bitterness, and condemn rather than offer forgiveness? 
See that? Those are the choices. Those are the choices that are before us. Obey, do what God has called us to do, do what is, is what marks one who is really in Christ, walk the way Christ walked, extending forgiveness, extending mercy and compassion, or will we disobey and hold on to all that and offer condemn, condemnation rather than offer forgiveness? It's the choices that are before us. And here's another introspection question for you, just like I did last week. I'll leave you with another one. Introspection questions. Two of them. Who do you need to forgive? Who in your life, in your circle, do you need to forgive that you have not yet forgiven? Here's the second question. Who do you need to ask forgiveness from? Who have you hurt, offended, wronged, even if you don't understand why or agree with their reason for having something against you? You don't see it. You don't think you've done anything wrong. That's irrelevant. The hurt they are feeling, even if it's not completely accurate as in it being entirely your fault or, or even if it's not something you intended at all, if they feel offended or hurt or wronged by you, it's real to them. And as people who are in Christ who say we abide in Him, then we have to humble ourselves and go to those people and say, look, I I promise you I didn't intend this hurt that you're feeling, and I, I don't fully understand why you feel like I've done this to you, but I also acknowledge that this is real to you, and for any offense or hurt that I have caused you, intentional or not, I ask you to forgive me. So, Who do you need to ask forgiveness from is the second question. And just like last week, when I talked about people that we maybe aren't loving well with that Christ-like love, I said, ask the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to reveal it to you, and He will. And the same thing is true here with these questions. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to ask forgiveness from? And then ask Him, the Holy Spirit, to empower you to actually do it once He reveals that to you. Ask Him to empower you to actually go out and do it. And oh, how beautiful our relationships with one another would be, will be, if we do that. Oh, how beautiful and how, how truly thriving our church will be if we act this way. May we be people that forgive people as we have been forgiven. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, I ask that You would, by Your Spirit and by His power, that You would enable and empower us to be people that forgive people, as we have been forgiven by You through Your Son at the cost of His life. The forgiveness that we constantly need is constantly free. But it's constantly free to us because it cost Jesus everything to provide. It cost you everything to give it because it caused you to have to give your son. So, Father, as people who have been forgiven an eternity worth of sin debt, may we in turn forgive other people in our lives as a picture of the divine forgiveness that you have given us. 
through your Son. And it's in His name and by the power of your Spirit that I pray this. Amen.